So we're now on the line to Action Aid's Natural Resources Manager, Christopher Rutledge. A very good uh, afternoon to you. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Mr. Rutledge. So uh, this obviously must be a coup for you, uh, a, a turnaround that will work for you. Good afternoon. Yes, thank you very much for having us. Um, let me just first of all say that while I am with Action Aid South Africa, the court application was brought by Makua, which is Mining Affected Communities United in Action, and Wamua, Women Affected by Mining United in Action, and uh, another other uh, community groups across the country. So uh, we, we have supported that application. So really, it is a victory for mining affected communities and their movement to to uh, gain access to the policy and legislative space. So, so yes, in, in, in essence, it's a, it's a great victory. It's a confirmation of what we have argued is a constitutional right, the right of those who are impacted by any governance decision to be part of that, uh, to be part of that um, decision-making process. So we are glad that the court has, has found um, and has insisted that the mining charter process must include uh, the applicants in any process going forward. Okay. So what do you foresee happening now? So it's one thing to be told that, you know, you you are relevant stakeholders and that you should also be consulted. Enacting mm. that is a totally different thing. Mm-mm-mm. Yes, absolutely. So so this has been the, the problem that we've... Um, been trying to get to grips with. So on the one hand, there are many, many court rulings up to the Constitutional Court, which has affirmed that those who are affected by a decision must be part of, uh, part of you know, coming to the, coming to those decisions. So the, the, the principle of participatory democracy has been affirmed uh, on many occasions. The difficulty lies in the implementation. So what happens is, is that government and the Chamber of Mines have basically paid lip service to this principle of including communities. For example, when the uh, minister was um, defending our, uh, you know, the department against our application, he said to, in his papers that um, there had been sufficient consultation with communities because the Department of Mineral Resources has met with 69 chiefs, chiefs, you know, traditional leaders. And uh, obviously we, we, we felt that that was, a, um, that was exactly the problem right there, the fact that uh, these mining deals and mining legislation has really been a, a process of elite deals. So you have a couple of people, including the Hoshis and the traditional leaders, making deals on behalf of communities. And what we've argued consistently is that if one looks at the legislation and the policy in mining, mining-affected communities are treated like miners. So in other words, they're not treated as citizens of this country who have rights enshrined in the Constitution. They're treated like the subjects of old colonial apartheid, where the chiefs make decisions on behalf of people. And that, we feel, is, is, is not in keeping with the spirit of our Constitution, number one. And two, it is a relic of the past that really needs to be put behind us. And we need to come up with new and modern ways of governing society. And that certainly must not be this anachronistic uh, harking back to traditional leadership and tribal chiefs. 
So we have consistently fought against it. We think that the court ruling today has been uh, another nail in that coffin, in that colonial apartheid legislative framework. And we will continue to drive this forward. And hopefully, as we go along, we'll be able to drag the Department of Mineral Resources and the Chamber of Mines kicking and screaming into the future, which must be a democratic future. Mm. Unfortunately, we've also seen uh, communities um, uh, split by those who want to benefit uh, far more than others, as in the wider communities. And as you rightly say, that is dependent on their sphere of influence with the mining companies. Either they do have yeah. the ear of the traditional leadership, so by uh-huh. uh, virtue of the hierarchy within the community, they become yeah. more at the forefront. So how do you deal with that, ensuring that uh, the, the, the community themselves are cohesive in ensuring rights for all and, and yeah. holding mining companies and, and the government to, to account? Yes, absolutely. I think you, you, you're correct in that analysis. So certainly one of the difficulties historically across the ages has been that mining companies and governments have essentially divided people in order to maintain control. So we know that historically colonial uh, and apartheid legislation divided people in such a way that they were divided tribally um, and so that you know people couldn't really come together in ways that can bring about change. So we're saying to government that, yes, that is a historical legacy of the past, and yes, currently you will have charlatans and people who are aiming to only kind of uh, fill and line their own pockets coming to the table and claiming to represent communities, and we're quite aware of that. What we are suggesting is that we have a democratic constitution and a democratic dispensation, and if we use those tools effectively as they are supposed to be used, then we can overcome this, um, this grabbing at, at whatever is available. So what we've suggested, and we've been working very closely with communities across the country on this, is that there needs to be democratic processes. So, for example, in Mapela, in, in, in Limpopo, where Anglo-American has been historically dividing that community. We are trying to insist with the South African Human Rights Commission, the Department of Mineral Resources and Anglo, that they should engage the community in democratic elections. And the community is very willing to engage in this process. But if the role players like the Mineral Resources and the Chamber of Mines and the Anglos of this world are not prepared to see this through, then it's going to be very difficult for us to do this. And that's why we kind of revert to the courts to say, listen, if we want to move forward, then there must be a democratic process. In other words, make sure that representatives are elected to serve on committees that are going to talk about the future and that that representation is done or that election is done in a fair and open process so that there is a recourse, so if a community member who is representing a community doesn't act in the interest of community, they can be recalled. So we are saying that we need to look at the democratic processes to drive this discussion forward. And we're not saying okay. that, you know, you know we, that will solve all the problems, but it's a way forward. And the only way that we can do that is to put those processes in place, because as we do that, we learn how to engage in democratic spaces and we learn how to take our communities forward.